The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. Um, We're continuing on our journey for at least one more day on uh, covering uh, Secure Act 2.0. Uh, updates, interpretations, uh, guidance, if you will, uh, to the extent that's available. Um, all the types of things that you need to be aware of as you're as you're navigating retirement plans and rules, etc. As these rules do change over time, and the latest significant changes came from uh, what's generally be, uh, referred to as the Secure Act uh, 2.0, which uh, for the most part went into effect at the end of uh, 2022 here. Uh, we're recording this early 2023. So some of the stuff that we, um, comment on that might, we might refer to as needing some additional IRS guidance down the road, which there's still some open ended issues, uh, requiring that guidance for us truly to understand how they're going to implement some of these new rules. Uh, by the time you listen to this, if you listen to it later on, they might have actually, uh, resolved some of these things. So keep that in mind. These are, you know, this is a, a fluid environment and we're getting new information all the time and we'll do our best to try to keep you up to date. But, uh, this show, if you haven't been listening to the past couple of EDU shows comes as a direct result of, uh, Jim in his, uh, twice annually visit to the Ed Slot program, who does a great job training their, um, uh, advisors that are part of that uh, group. Um, on all of these nuances with regards to rules on your retirement accounts. So I'll bring Jim in now and he'll, uh, um, continue on his, his, his pages of notes that he took at the last Ed Slot, uh, conference meeting, whatever you want to call it. So Jim, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Well, other gonna... than we can probably tell people that if, in case he cries out in pain, uh, <laughs> yes. every once in a while, He's got a uh, a back pain issue that's flaring up. So if he cries out, just just ignore it. Well, he'll he'll recover and continue on. And I I don't know what it is, folks, because it's the worst type of back pain to have. I got it doing absolutely nothing. I woke up. That that was the verb. That was the action that I did, uh, which caused my back to feel painful. I woke up. 
Um, but the, 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 the odd thing is, is it happened last week. And last week, for Colorado standards, folks, was a rainy week. And um, we got enough rain that I couldn't be outside gardening. And gardening is where you figure I would uh, cinch my back or something because I'm always going up, down, and moving things. And uh, I didn't garden. I just woke up one day and thought, gee, my lower back hurts in a weird spot, in a spot that it never hurt before, which was right along my hip line. And when I went into the office yesterday and chatted with Chris, I pointed to the area and you, uh, again, no medical training. So I'm not sure if Chris's diagnosis is right, but he looked at it and you said right away, I know what you have and it's painful. Well, I say I know. I said, I'm pretty sure. You've got well, sciatic that's, that's, nerve pain. In my so. eyes, that's you know. Okay. <laughs> so apparently I have some nerve called a what? A, a, cri- a sciatic nerve. Sciatic nerve, yeah. We all do okay. as, as humans. So not just you. Okay, not just me. All right. <laughs> but yours is in bad shape right now, I suspect. So it is just this biting, sharp pain. Uh, but it's across the base of my hip is that I, I guess I don't know it's it's not it does not feel in my back itself if I put my hand on my hip and move it about halfway towards my spine it's right there yeah. and oh my lord it, it it's sore so Chris is right if I scream in pain it's because I kind of moved and it just it's a it's a harmless little scream it'd be more like a oh, and then I'll oh, just so keep kind going. of a whimper is what you would call that yeah yeah, it's not. I mean, I'm not screaming like a 12 year old girl. <laughs> well, I'm not it's, sure a whimper is any, any more manly. Just, just point that out. <laughs> but well, we understand. You know, we've all been there. I've winced like that. I've, you know, I sometimes I whimper. Some sometimes I will uh, say a full little word, but I will not. Mm, uh, I can bleep this time those out. But if I, I'll, true, I'll keep all the whimpering in. Just so yeah, people keep the can whipping in. But if be, you hear a beep, yeah. then you you know yeah. uh, more than a whimper came out. But as long as I don't move, I feel good. But sitting down after a while actually hurts. That's yeah. why I don't think it's traditional back pain. Then I have to get up and kind of move a little, and the the pain subsides a little. But it's just it's really ticking me off because this is hiking season and this is gardening season, and the last thing I need is to be hounded by growing old. And that that I mean that's what it comes down to folks let's let's face it sure. I'm going to be 60 I'm getting old and it really stinks to be falling apart yeah. um, anyways that's what's new with me and uh, we're going to pick up continue with my uh, copious notes from the Ed slot meeting on the secure act I think you'll like today's topics they get kind of interesting and uh, we'll keep going through uh, some of what was covered with us I'm glad you mentioned Chris a lot of what we're going to be reviewing, there's still so much unknown. We haven't received final guidance from the IRS on how they're going to interpret many of the provisions in the SECURE Act. And as typical with Congress, this was thrown down our throats with a couple of weeks of 2022 left in the year. So nobody's really had time to look at it. Uh, many people have looked at a few provisions and instantly ran with them. The, the biggest that you and I have chatted about just last week was uh, Section 204 on being able to use, uh, quote-unquote, excess uh, 
distributions from a single premium immediate annuity from uh, an annuity inside a retirement account to offset RMDs from other retirement accounts, something you could never do in the past. And everybody loves this provision and, and they want to do it. And we just don't know how it's going to be done. And it's going to play in with some of the things that we're going to cover today. We just don't know how they're going to interpret the eventual rules and it's just going to be a wait and see uh, exercise. But I wanted to pick up where we not necessarily left off last week, but one of the questions that we had last week. And it was having to do with the RMDs and the lowering of the penalty from 50% to as little as 10% if done correctly, or 25% if not fixed in time. So if you miss an RMD before Secure 2, you paid 50% but as Chris of the missed RMD amount. Mm-hmm. And as Chris and I pointed out many times, it was pretty much 50% of what, Chris? Of uh, zero because they were pretty lenient as far as uh, granting forgiveness for making that mistake as long as you followed kind of a structured method for fixing it and then promising never to do it again. So. Um, even though it was a very scary punishment, 50% of what you should have taken as a, as a penalty, very severe, um, that, uh, it was rarely applied for anyone who tried to uh, appeal it. If you just took it and you paid it, then that's kind of on, on you a, a bit that you didn't look into it enough to realize you could appeal it or request, uh, compassion, as I like to say. But, um, uh, this this new one, I think they're going to stick to it. They're not going to be as forgiving. They've got some pretty specific rules about what you have to do to reduce the penalty, and otherwise you're going to get smacked with a still a pretty sizable 25% penalty. Right. So 50% of zero is generally a lot less than 10% of everything or 25% of everything if you don't fix it in enough time. Right. But as we said last week... It's still, if you miss an RMD, it's not the end of the world. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't get up at two in the morning and try fixing it. If you miss an RMD, I would still follow the rules. Listen to old podcasts. We we cover it. Uh, but follow the rules. File form 5329. Ask for forgiveness and see what they say. Worst they can say is no, and then you pay the penalty. Okay, but part of that discussion, if you remember, Chris, I said... I wonder if they would consider the missed RMD an excess contribution. And the reason I brought that up is for the first time ever, Congress specifically went out and said there is only a three-year statute of limitations for missed RMDs. And missed RMDs always were subject to just one penalty. It wasn't like an excess contribution penalty that you have to pay every year the excess contribution stayed in your IRA. The missed RMD was only due once, a pretty hefty 50%, I concede, but it was only due once, even if they discovered it 10 years later. There never used to be a statute of limitations, so they could realistically have found it 10 years later. And you wouldn't have owed 50% every year for 10 years. It just was a one and done. So I said, now that there's a three-year statute of limitations and they can't force you to take the money out, they can't look back, they can't do anything after their three years has passed to, to catch you on this, 
would they turn around and say, well, that's still an excess contribution and nail you that way? Because theoretically, money that you were supposed to take out if you left in, in my train of thought, could be interpreted as an excess contribution. You felt otherwise, and I said, I don't know. I will find out. And folks, Chris was correct. I got a hold of the Ed Slot group, and I said, hey, what would this be? Blah, blah, blah. And I just spelled it all out. And they wrote back. They know me quite well there. They wrote back, gave me a little smiley face, but said, Jim, you are way overthinking this. Little smiley face. <laughs> so that was nice of them. I, I laid out my whole case to them in the email of why I thought it would be an excess contribution. But uh, he just said I was overthinking it, that it wouldn't be except in one situation, uh, one, one big but, if you will. And oh, we don't have that anymore. Um, we used to play, don't tell me his name, don't tell me his name. Uh, I like big butts, I can't deny. Mix-a-lot, Sir Mix-a-lot. I like uh, big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. We got it. I didn't know you. I didn't know you still had that. Oh, I'm I'm ready with about anything. <laughs> really? I, th- yeah. I mean, you 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 don't have uh, the drum roll. No, because we hardly See? ever we, that one. We we use the the. the when butts. was the last time we used the big butts? We were on the radio when we used to no, play. I like big no, butts. We've used it every once in a while since then. Did we? Okay. Yeah. I know years ago, we I don't know how we were doing it, but there were all these buts to some of the things that, that we would say, that you can do it this way, but, and then sometimes I would say, this is a really big but, and I asked Chris to get that little sound bite, and he was hesitant. He thought some people might be offended, because if you listen to the whole lyrics of the song, he's not talking about the word but, he's talking about a but but, and uh, Chris said, well, some people are not like that, but I think it's cute. Anyways, this is kind of a big but. And do you know the one case, Chris, where an RMD, a missed RMD, technically speaking, a missed RMD, that's left in an IRA would be considered an excess contribution? You can get this. I know you can. Think it through. Well, just having it sit in there isn't going to do anything. So you must have to do something with it that you're not supposed to do is is my guess. So... So you should have taken it as an RMD, but instead you do something else like convert it or distribute it. And well, distributing it would be, you know, treated as an RMD. So maybe converting it or moving it to another IRA. Exactly. Chris nailed it. So the big but in this case is, and every once in a while, I know when I was active on the FPA and used to go to the Financial Planning Association and used to go to the FPA form a lot, this question would come up every now and then. And I remember once trying to help a woman, I don't know where in the country she was from, um, trying to address something that I was trying to tell her you, you, you did wrong. And other advisors were telling her, you, you can't do what you just did. And what she had done, and this is going back years ago, folks, this is not a Secure Act 2 issue, but what she had done, and I think it's going back to 08, 09, when the market was was down, um, what she had done is she decided to convert, because the market was down, some of her clients' uh, account, IRA account, into a Roth, because the market was down. 
And she had mentioned that the client was going to take her RMD at the end of the year. This was January, but she converted now because the market was down and she wanted to get the aggressive equities into a Roth. I forget in what context she was sharing. She was still planning to take her RMD, but later in the year. But later, but later. So people started pointing out to her, myself included, that beginning in the year, now back then it was 70 and a half, now it's 73, but beginning January 1st of the year you reach RMD eligibility, or I won't say eligibility, I'll say requirement, it's 73 now, it's going to be 75 in another 10 years unless they change it. But beginning January 1st of that year, every dollar out of your IRA is considered the RMD. Initially. Even yeah. Initially. Even if it's transferred. This yeah. was a conversion she did. But even if it was moved to another IRA, maybe you didn't like one custodian, you wanted to move to the other custodian, but you didn't want to take your RMD yet. So you move an IRA, which is perfectly fine. There's no rule against that. So you move an IRA from one custodian to another, Vanguard to Fidelity, or Fidelity to Vanguard. But you have reached January 1st of the year you turned 73. Even though your required beginning date, the RBD, required beginning date, April 1st of the year following, the year you turn 73. Even though that's not till the following year, and that's technically the latest you can wait to take the RMD, January 1st of the year you turn 73, everything changes. So the Ed Slot Group wanted to point out that if someone was to transfer one IRA to another in a year that they are required to take RMDs, And let's say they did that in January. They moved their IRA from Fidelity to Vanguard in January. But they never took the RMD. And then later, they take what they think is their RMD. Let's say they take it in December. The IRS is going to consider the first dollars out to always be the required minimum distribution, even if It's directly trustee to trustee rolled over in a tax-free exchange. Even if it's in another IRA, and we all know the IRS considers all your IRAs one big IRA. So really nothing has changed, Chris. No money was ever received. It's still one big IRA, but it doesn't matter. They will say that the RMD is now still in there. And because you rolled it, now they consider it an excess contribution. So those dollars will be subject to the excess contribution rules. Even if you took the correct RMD out later. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's a tricky one. That's something that's going to come back to haunt a lot of people for not following those rules carefully. You would have to do a corrective distribution rather than take people trying to figure out, hey, how do I fix this? Rather than taking the RMD as a withdrawal, 
you call up your custodian, in this case, Vanguard, in my hypothetical, because I said you moved it from Fidelity to Vanguard. You call up Vanguard and you say, hey, I need to take a corrective distribution out of the IRA. I rolled my RMD over. I need to correct that and just move it out. And then you can remove it as a corrective distribution. If you just do a withdrawal, the IRS is going to say, nope, your RMD is still in there. You didn't take a corrective distribution. So it's very easy to fix. You just have to know to say the right things. But you also need to know if you are subject to RMDs, the first dollars out of your IRA are always RMDs. And RMDs cannot be rolled over. And RMDs cannot be converted because all conversions are considered rollovers. And we just told you, RMDs cannot be rolled over. By default, they cannot be converted. And I'd say this is an area where people make a lot of mistakes. So pay attention to that one. But anyways, Chris, you picked up on it both times. Uh, Last week, you, you felt... No, the missed RMD, uh, unless it was rolled over, like I just described, uh, would not be considered an excess contribution. Um, So you were correct on that. And you picked up on my little uh, trick question, not trick question, but difficult question. In what instance could an RMD remaining in an IRA be considered an excess contribution? And it's when it was rolled over or converted. Okay, I thought that was a pretty good one. I'm glad you followed up on that and clarified. I did. Okay, so let's get into, since we're talking in a roundabout way, excess contributions, let's look at changes to the excess contribution rules because there have been some fairly significant changes. So what is an excess contribution? Well, we just gave one example of what it is, uh, rolling over or converting an RMD. Those are dollars that shouldn't be in. It's considered an excess. One of the more common ones would be while you are working, you contribute money to a Roth IRA thinking your income will be, be, be below a certain level. And later on, you find out, oh, my goodness, I earned too much income. I was never allowed to contribute to a Roth. That money in there will be considered an excess contribution. It's pretty hard to have an excess contribution to a traditional IRA because anyone with any income means can contribute to a non-deductible traditional IRA. So you don't often see excess contributions to IRAs unless they were RMDs that were rolled over, like I previously described, or more likely than not, you put a money into an IRA that you thought you could, traditional IRA, that you thought you could deduct on your taxes, only to find out later you can't deduct it and you want to remove that contribution or recharacterize that contribution to a Roth IRA. In both those cases, Chris, those are not excess contributions. So it's it's difficult to get excess contributions to a traditional IRA unless you have no income whatsoever. True. 
That's a good point. And then it's an excess contribution. And you sometimes find that. There are people out there, probably not anyone listening to this podcast, because if you are, you have a degree of interest in financial planning and retirement planning in particular, and you're listening to the Retirement and IRA show, so you're probably knowledgeable in IRAs, but there are people out there, folks, who don't realize you actually need earned income to put money in an IRA. Right. And you get people who've been doing it their whole lives and they retire and they, they don't think there's anything different. They just want to keep putting money in. So they do. That's another way you can get excess contributions to an IRA. It's more common in Roths, but it can be done in traditional IRAs as well. Well, Chris and I have talked a lot on excess contributions and they're very easy to fix. And how do you go about fixing that, Chris? Excess contributions. Excess contributions. Very yeah. easy to fix. How do you fix it? You can um, do a couple things. You could either recharacterize them to a type of contribution you're allowed to make, or you can remove the excess contribution. And you have till when to do it? You have till October 15th of the year following the year in which you made the excess contribution before you exactly. are going to suffer potential penalties. Exactly. So you got quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm till October 15th of the following year. And if you made the excess contribution in January, you got 22 months practically to fix it. So plenty of time. People still muff up and, and miss the deadline. We've seen it. But they give you plenty of time to fix it. And what the IRS says, you must remove the excess contribution plus any growth minus any losses. And they call that the net income, and I've aced this word now, Chris, because remember, I was screwing up on it the other day, net income attributable. So as long as you take out the NIA, excuse me, as long as you calculate the NIA and remove that as well, by April, excuse me, October 15th of the following year, you can escape the 6% penalty tax on an excess contribution. Now, determining the net income attributable is a bit of a calculation. Mm -hmm. It's in publication 590. It's not overly difficult to do. You can follow the instructions. Didn't we just talk about this? Yeah, we did, Mm -hmm. because I was having trouble saying that word. Um, Someone was trying to, oh, someone disagreed with, the custodian or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but I remember we just chatted about this not too long ago. In, well, pre-secure, the net income attributable was subject to a 10% early withdrawal penalty if it was a positive number. With the market being down, it could very well be a negative number. In other words, if you contributed 7000 to an IRA, whether that was a Roth or a traditional, doesn't matter, and you realize, oh, goodness, I wasn't allowed to make that, and you do the calculation, it's very possible that you are going to remove less than $7,000 because the net income was negative. But it's also possible in most markets that the net income would be positive. 
And you had to take that positive dollars out. And in the past, there was no statute of limitations on this. And it could be, in the past, a fairly big number. And you would be subject to a 10% penalty on it. In Secure 2, the 10% penalty on the net income attributable goes away. That was kind of them. That was nice. Yeah, I thought so. Not to. So, I mean, they're giving you till October 15th of the year following to fix it, but even then, you had this little slap on the wrist, even that 10% penalty if there was a positive NIA on that on that repair. So it's kind of nice that they take, took that off. I think that's Now, fair. you still have to pay taxes on it. Well, yeah. If it's a positive number, mm-hmm. but you don't pay the 10% penalty even if you are under 59 and a half. Now, of course, if you are fixing a Roth IRA excess contribution, the money you remove is not going to be taxable either because it's after-tax dollars that went in. If you are repairing it in an IRA because you put money in and you deducted it and you found out later, oh, God, I didn't have a job. I wasn't allowed to put money into an IRA. And you are now taking it out. Then, yes, you will have to pay taxes not on the net, well, you have to pay taxes on the net income attributable as well as the contribution because you deducted it on your taxes. So do keep that in mind. If you are taking a deductible contribution out, you will have to pay taxes on that. Most excess contributions are fixed inside Roth accounts. That's the one that screws people the most. So uh, they, again, waived the excess contribution, excuse me, the excess temp the 10% early withdrawal penalty on the net income attributable to the excess contribution, but not the taxes. There's also a statute of limitations because in the past, Chris, there was no statute of limitations on excess contributions. Correct? Correct. And why don't you explain why Uh, The courts ruled, tax court and the IRS took the opinion that there's no statute of limitations. Well, there's no natural occurring statute of limitations, I think would be the better way of saying it. Because if you uh, signed a document, the 5329, I believe, stating that there was no penalty owed for that year for behaviors like having an excess contribution and signed that document, the 5329, which is the, uh, I believe, the only additional document that you file with your taxes that has its own signature line and date. Without that document signed, the claim that you don't have a penalty has never been made and therefore no statute of limitations. If you claim there was no penalty via signing that 5329 and maybe erroneously stating that there was no um, error and no penalty owed, then there is a statute of limitations technically. But if most people, if they don't think they have a penalty, they're not going to file 5329. So they effectively, by doing that, by not filing it and stating they have no penalty, they don't start that statute of limitations clock. So it's unlimited and they can come back on you for that. And maybe, you know, that penalty is an ongoing yearly penalty, and uh, could could rack up, you know, very high overall penalties uh, if they find it much, much later. But there's some 
catches to the statute of limitation. So Chris is correct because of 5329, there used to never be one. Now Secure 2 says there is a six-year statute of limitations. But it doesn't quite work the way you think. It's not that, ooh, I just got to wait six years for my 2023 excess contribution. I put money into my Roth and I make way too much money to put money in the Roth, but the IRS isn't going to catch me in six years. I'm covered. And you start, you, you, you put that excess contribution in and you think in six years, I'm good to go. Everything is fine. I made it doesn't work that way, folks. And it doesn't work that way, folks, because the penalty accrues each year. So let's just say you made a $7,000 excess contribution to a Roth, or you didn't have a job and you put money into an IRA. Doesn't matter. One way or another, you put seven grand into an IRA or a Roth IRA, and you weren't allowed to do it. So let's just say you made that contribution. Let's just say you made it last year, 2022. That'll make the numbers work a little bit better since it's already 2023. So you made a 2022 excess contribution. The time period for the statute of limitations begins the tax filing deadline for the year you made the excess contribution. That is April of 23, this year. So you made the excess contribution, folks, last year, 2022. The clock starts April of 2023. And it will go on each year. You leave that excess in. So there would be a excess contribution in the eyes of the IRS in 2022, 2023, 2024, 25, 6, 7, 8, 9, 20, 30, 2031, 32. I could keep counting. Each year that that $7,000 stays in, the IRS considers it an excess contribution for that year. So now let's just say you don't correct this excess contribution. And now 10 years later, I don't know why you're being hauled in front of the IRS. You're being audited. Again, the chances of this being caught are slim, I admit it, but this is how the rules work. So 10 years later, Chris, the IRS catches it. I don't know how. Ed Slot's favorite saying when people ask him, how are they going to catch me, Ed, on this? He always says, I don't know. Ask the person in the cell next to you. I just kind of find that cute. <laughs> that's Ed Slot humor there. Yeah. That, that's, that's Ed Slot IRA humor there, folks, at its best. So I don't know how they're going to catch you, but humor me in the case of this example. You make the excess contribution in 2022. The clock begins this year, April of 2023. It takes 10 years for the IRS to catch you. You will still owe a 10% penalty for 2026, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. You won't owe the excess penalty for 23, 24, 25. Those have surpassed, those are okay. But each year it stays in 
is an excess contribution. They can only go back six years and nail you for those six years. They can't go back seven, eight, nine years. I concede that. But it's not, gee, I make an excess contribution in 2023. I just have to wait six years. In 2029, I'm good to go. No, because first of all, it doesn't start counting until April of the following year. And just reaching six years does not wipe out everything. It might wipe out that original one from six years ago, but the remaining five are still in there. Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah. So it doesn't work like you might think, oh, I'm going to make an excess contribution and I just got to wait six years and I'm good to go. I think it should be worded that you will not owe more than six years worth of penalties on an excess contribution until it's removed. I think that's a better way of saying it. That's it's not a really point. a statute yeah. of limitations. It's just they're, they're capping the amount of penalty you have to pay. Like Chris and I cap our asset management fee to a certain level. And don't get me going on that. We want on this show at least because I hate my industry and the uncapped AUM that they do. But we cap our fee on managing assets. Congress essentially capped the penalty on excess contributions to no more than six years. I think that's a better way of putting it. That's a good point. That's I think that clarifies it rather than you magically get absolved of this issue and it just goes away. They just cap your penalty. It's a good way of putting it. Now, the missed RMD does magically go away after three years. And that opens up a whole host of moral risk. They got three years to catch a missed RMD. They miss it. It stays in there. They can't go back and get you. They can't force you to take it out. Mm. It's there. They must have heard. They must have heard some horror stories about people missing them, and years and years and years later, yet getting found, and then that caused them all kinds of horrors. Um, And somebody in Congress decided to cap that as well. But there's some people listening to this show who have thirty, fifty, sixty, eighty. We have some clients who have a hundred thousand plus RMDs, massive RMDs. Brings me back to that favorite line of mine in Dirty Harry. Do you feel lucky, punk? Well, do you? I mean, that's what it's coming down to. But I I don't know. It's a moral question. The rules say you got to follow it and take the RMDs out. I guarantee you there's going to be people, Chris, maybe not people listening to this podcast, but there will be people who are going to push that rule to the limits. Yeah. And say, catch me if you can. And if you do, I'll take my risk paying the penalty. But I might be able to keep hundreds of thousands of dollars inside my IRA, which may not even accomplish anything, folks. Right, exactly. (laughs) If you have RMDs that big, it might make you feel better. Temporarily. (laughs) Right. It's just, it's going to make you turn in your grave because you'll see the amount of taxes that other generations uh, will have to pay, other beneficiaries will have to pay uh, as they take the money out of the IRA. So do keep that in mind. It may be enticing, 
but what are you really accomplishing? Someone is going to pay the taxes. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again. Even though the I in IRA stands for individual, everybody, myself included, has a joint IRA. You pretty much have your own Roth IRA, even though your uncle, who's the joint owner of your traditional IRA and 401k, uh, might have a little bit of claim on your Roth. It won't be much at all. But your 401k, 403b, TSP, 457, IRA, whatever type of account you have, it's a joint account. And government's going to get their fair share or, or what they call their quote unquote fair share. Many of us will consider it an unfair share, but they make the rules. And they're going to get their money one way or another. So even if you miss an RMD and leave it in the IRA, it's not going to really accomplish much unless at your death, you leave it all to charity and the charity gets it tax free. So you never took it out. They never caught you. And then it goes to right. charity. So the winner is the charity. The winner would be the charity. Yep. And then in the eyes of the government, they would probably say ultimately society wins. Um, so all is good. But anyways, it's just an interesting way to look at it, that the missed RMD is different or treated different than an excess contribution. There is an exception to the excess contribution. I called this part when, when it was taught to us, uh, the Peter Thiel. That's what jumped into my mind. This must be the Peter Thiel uh, exemption. Uh, and I think Ed or one of his minions, one of the consultants also called it the Peter Thiel uh, exemption. So they made what they call a bargain sale exemption. And what that means under Secure 2, it specifically says that there is no statute of limitations on an excess contribution in the case of that excess contribution being subject to a bargain sale, which they defined as being used to acquire property for less than fair market value. Mm. Everybody knows Peter Thale got, wasn't it over a billion dollars in his Roth? It was an insane amount of money. Yeah. And he did it by buying certain warrants and rights to, I think it was was he PayPal or eBay? I think it was PayPal. Which one did he found? I don't Google remember that now. real quick. <clears throat> okay. Google it real quick. He got rights to purchase shares of some tech stock at like 0. 0.00002 cents a share or something like that. It, it was just an insanely low amount where he got money into his Roth and just loaded up on these shares well below fair market value. And then when they were exercised and turned into stock magically, I think a billion plus was in his raw. Yeah, he was, was a co-founder co of PayPal, and then he was the first outside investor in Facebook as well. Okay, so the man clearly doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know anything about investing. <laughs> Pets.com, that's where he should have been. <laughs> People love their pets. You know, that should have worked. <laughs> but anyways, and I think he got a billion bucks in his Roth. And when that hit the newswire, that caused a big, big brouhaha in Washington. Okay, one last thing. And this ties into the RMD as well. 
the statute of limitations on the RMD. When does this all take effect? That remains to be seen. The new statute of limitations says it's effective upon enactment. That's it. It offered no guidance on whether it means it's going to count for years prior to 2022. Remember, this took effect December, late December of 2022. Does it apply to excess contributions prior to enactment or missed RMDs prior to enactment? The case is out there. Nobody knows. There is no guidance. Absolutely no guidance. It doesn't say, it just says effective upon enactment does not address prior to enactment. Effective upon enactment to mean, me means from the date of enactment, which was mid-December 2022, mid, late December 2022, forward. Are they going to grandfather missed RMDs from previous years? And are they going to grandfather excess contributions from previous years? Nobody knows. Yep. Wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> We're not telling. Okay. Do I still have time to do a few more segments? Yeah, a little bit more. <laughs> okay. So let's get into 10% early withdrawal penalties. Uh, we have a new penalty exemption. I think we're going to dedicate an entire EDU show because there's now a boatload of 10% early withdrawal penalty exemptions. Okay, a new one that hopefully nobody listening to this podcast, myself included, will ever have to use because it's not anything to strive for. But it's a unique exemption, so I figure I would cover it. And that is an exemption from the 10% early withdrawal penalty for withdrawals from your IRAs in a federally declared disaster. Prior to SECURE, Congress had to pass a measure each and every time to exempt people who were victimized by a federally declared disaster uh, to get uh, protection. And there were a couple of examples. I can't remember what storm it was. I think it was, oh, here it is at my notes. Superstorm Sandy. I don't, I think that was New York. That was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago. They were never granted the ability to take money out of their IRA without a 10% penalty. Yet other disasters were. And there was no rhyme or reason to why victims of Superstorm Sandy uh, were never uh, allowed the same ability. So Congress just said, to hell with it. We're not going to leave it up to the nuances of Congress anymore. We're just going to make this a done deal. If you are in a federally declared disaster area, and it's not just you have a vacation home there, or you work there, or you're vacationing there, and you can't get home now. No, your primary residence has to be in the federally declared disaster area. So vacations, working, visiting, none of that matters. You have to live there, your primary residence. But if you do live there, you will be able to take $22,000. How they came up with $22,000, Chris? (laughs) No freaking idea. 
maybe and the only thing and I thought of they enacted this in what 2022 so I wonder if it was 2052 if it would be $52,000 you could have taken out I have no idea but you can take $22,000 out 44,000 if you're a married couple and the other spouse has their own retirement account and this applies to IRAs and 401ks and other retirement plans it's per taxpayer, not per account. So you can't say, oh, I have an IRA, I have a 401k, I have a TSP, I can take out uh, 66000 No. $22,000 per taxpayer can come out. Not tax-free, so Congress really doesn't love you. Right. They're just being nice. Remember, they're the joint holder. They're kind of sitting there saying, we don't live in the disaster area. Or the government's not there. We don't care. We want our money. You still have to pay taxes to us. We're just not going to subject it to the 10% penalty if you are younger than 59 and a half. And they're going to give you three years to pay it back. So that's kind of a neat thing. And you'll pay it back with after-tax dollars. So you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I got three years to pay it back. And it's the, to pay it back, you have to begin paying back. The three-year period begins the day after you receive the money. You get constructive receipt of the money. Here we go into that whole constructive receipt again, Chris, on 60-day rollovers. Now they have it again here. So when you physically touch the money, it is electronically deposited into your bank account or they send it to you as a paper check and you touched the check, physically touched the check. That's when the three-year time period begins. It does not have to go back to the original account. You could have taken the money out of your 401k and pay it back to an IRA. That's okay. You could take it out from the IRA and pay it back to a different IRA. Took it out of Schwab, you can pay it back to Fidelity. Doesn't matter. But you get three years to do it. They are going to consider it. They're going to call it a rollover, but they're giving you three years to do it. So they're going to consider it a direct rollover, custodian to custodian. Even though you had the money for a hell of a long time, they're going to consider it a direct rollover. And now you might be sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, Jim, I have to pay it back with after-tax dollars. Yes, you pay it back with after-tax dollars. And you might be saying, well, what good is that? Mm -hmm. I had to pay taxes when I took the money out. And this is just going to create basis and cause a pain in the hiney. Mm -hmm. Well, the government's going to be nice to you. You can file amended returns if you declared it as tax. Let's say the, the disaster happens in 2023 and you pay it back in 2026 within the three-year time period. Then you file an amended return for 2023 and say, hey, remember that $22,000 you made me pay taxes on? I paid it back. And then you can get your money back that you paid in taxes. Uh, that's that's a pain, but I can understand why they'd have to do that. When you're spanning tax years like that, um, it's hard to make it work more simply and be fair. So I'm glad there's a mechanism in there at least for that because otherwise you're going to – again. But, but you're still going to end up with uh, 
basis in there. Mm-hmm. Aren't you? Because you put it in with after-tax money, or are they going to say no, if you file the emitted return, you're going to then be able to not have to count it as basis. It's going right. to essentially have been just a rollover. Yes, because you're asking okay. for your money back that you paid in taxes okay. on it okay. to come out. Well, that's not too horrible, so gonna, then, I guess. If they're going to treat it as if it always moved trustee to trustee. They're going to ignore the fact that you took it and held it for up to three years and then put it back. You put after-tax basis in, you file an amended return, get your tax dollars back, no harm, no foul. You're right back to where you were, minus any growth that would have happened on those dollars over the three-year period. You can divide the payments. You don't have to declare it all. Again, let's just say the disaster happens in 2023. You don't have to declare all 22,000 in 2023. You can divide it by three and declare it in 23, 24, and 25. So if you declared a third of it, I don't even know what a third of 22,000 is. Uh, Can you please tell me? So if you... uh, pay taxes on a third of it in 2023 and you pay it all back in 2024, perfect. Then you just file an amended return and get your taxes back for what you paid in 2023. What's a third of 22,000? $7,333.33. Oh, that's so, that's a nice round number. Mm -hmm. Very easy to remember. (laughs) I just love how Congress does this. So they will give you the ability to either spread it out over three years or declare it all in year one. You can't go zero, zero, and all of it in year three on your taxes. It's either a third, a third, a third, or all in year one. It's up to you. So just keep that in mind uh, on how you do that. Okay. This last one, let's go to one more and then we'll call it a day. This one is interesting. This one is the age 50 exemption for, um, what do they call it? Oh, God, I just, uh, public safety workers. Goodness, I lost a train of thought there for a minute. Everybody knows that there is the rule of 55 that everybody gets. In the year you turn 55, if you retire January 1st of the year you turn 55, you can take money out of that employer's 401k or whatever type of retirement plan they're offering you without having to pay the 10% early withdrawal penalty. It only applies to that employer's account. You can't take money out of your IRA. You can't take money out of a different employer's account. You can move those accounts to the employer you're retiring from Move it before you retire. Most will not accept transfers in after you retire. Not all. Some do, but a lot don't. So you could move a previous employer's 401k. You could move your IRA into the 401k. Then retire. You could be 54 years old. That's fine. It just means you're going to turn. I turned 60 in July. I was born in July. Let's say I was turning 55 in July. I wish I was turning 55 in July. But let's just say I was. Beginning January 1st, assuming I was working for someone else, even though I'm 54 on January 1st, I still have seven more months before I turn 55. 
I could start withdrawing money from that employer's 401k if I was to have retired without paying the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Okay, that's the age 55. Public sector workers. The definition of public sector workers has been expanded and expanded and expanded, but it's police, it's fire, it can be auxiliary, it can be paramedics, it can be EMTs. There's a wide group of people that fall into this category. So it's public service, not public sector. Oh, sorry. Just to public service employees, yeah. public safety. That's it has That's to be with safety. Yeah. Yes, public safety employees. They get the same rule, except they just have to be age fifty. Yep. So they could theoretically retire in the year they turned fifty and still only be forty-nine. But they expanded it and they gave them a couple of things. First, they expanded it to include private firefighters and private correction officers and private police. If there are such things as private police, I'm not sure if they are. But I know there are private corrections officers and private firefighters. They don't work for any government agency. They work for companies that offer fire protection and companies that offer correctional services. They are now included in this, even though they are not a, technically speaking, a public safety employee. But they also extended the rule to age 50 or 25 years of service with the employer sponsoring the plan. Hmm. When I became a cop, I was 27. I was considered old. I kid you not. Yeah. I was the oldest in the academy, and that's the truth. You're the and oldest one the in old this guy. office, too. I, I'm the oldest one in the office, too. I'm oh, sick no, of being Greg, the oldest. No, Greg is a little older. Ah, Greg is, too. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, Greg, I threw you under the bus. <laughs> Excuse me. And at 27... I was old, but that's kind of young. Under this new rule at 27, I just have to work 25 years. I don't have to. Well, well that puts you at 52, but if you were, if you were 22, you could go to so, like 47 right. or something. Yeah. A lot of the people in the academy were in their early 20s. That's a better yeah. way of looking at it. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Uh, they were 20, 21, 22 years old. So let's just say a 20-year-old is going through the police academy. Now, that's not unheard of. You don't need to go to college to be a cop. So let's say a 20-year-old is going through the police academy. Under this new rule, at age 45, beginning in the year they turn 45, so they could still be 44, they could theoretically take an early retirement from that job, especially if they have a pension that pays out after 20 years. They could stop after 25 years and start taking money out of their retirement account without the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, hopefully they'll be going into other employment because I'm not sure uh, you would have a pension big enough at that age to last the rest of your life and, and keep your, your um, lifestyle going. But it is neat to see that you can do that. What's unknown, and my gut tells me, it's not going to be able to do. Let's say that 20-year-old works for the New Bedford Police Department where I worked, 
and he works there for 15 years. Then he transfers and works 10 years for the MSP, Mass State Police. And he transferred his 457, because that's what we had. We had a pension with a 457. He transfers his 457 into the state 457. And then he leaves the state employment after 10 years. He did do 25 years of service. And he moved his original 457 over. But it wasn't with the same employer. So the thought is we have no guidance. Will he not be allowed to use that special 25-year rule? Will he have to wait till 50? It seems unfair. Seems to kind of go against the the mm-hmm. point of the law. I know why they're doing this. It's a tough career and it stinks now. I, I you couldn't pay me to be not at 60 anyways, but even if I was 20, you couldn't pay me to be a cop anymore. It's no way near what it was when I was on the force. And they it's a tough job now, and they're going to be second-guessed, and they're going to be, be Monday morning quarterback till the cows come home and a split-second decision. and You know all that, especially if you're a cop listening to this. You get it. It seems to go against the spirit of the law, Chris, to say, oh, no, you lateraled. You tried to better yourself, or you went to another department that needed your help. Sorry, you got to go to 50. It seems to go against the spirit of the law. But unless we get some guidance or they change it specifically, it's unknown. And right now, I would have to say the way it's written, no, it's not going to allow you. Um, what says you? I think some of these things, when they come out with them, they're you know good ideas. They don't think through all of the, you know, the the combinations of events that someone might want to use these new rules. And I think the spirit of the of the rules would be to grant people who make those kinds of movements these kind of benefits. But it's, again, one of those things we just have to wait and see what the clarification is as it comes out. And, and Congress can always clarify it if they're worried that the interpretation is going to be wrong. Um, or, you know, the IRS can just come out and say, this is how we're going to interpret this and handle this. Uh, keep, you know, stay tuned to this to this podcast and others about how that's going to end up. But it's, you know, it's pro- I think promising in, in what they're trying to do there. It just seems like the right thing to do. Okay. That's what I thought too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to come to the realization that it's not going to matter if you lateral. Right. Uh, lateral movements are very common in policing, mm-hmm. especially sometimes you'll start in corrections and you'll do five, six, seven, eight years into corrections. Then you might be able to get on street patrol as a deputy there. And then you might serve X amount of years as a deputy in the county. And then you're going to want to go into one of the cities, usually within the county. We see that here in Colorado all the time. I have a lot of friends on the Larimer County Sheriff's Department, and so many of them do begin that way. They start in the jail as a deputy. Then they move to the street as a, a street deputy. And then the cities, especially Fort Collins, pay significantly more in benefits and pay than the county does. So you end up seeing them lateraling from street deputy over to the city of Fort Collins. And you see that bop movement going on. And under this rule, each time they do that, they're going to be kind of penalized. So I do think Congress or the IRS will step in and say, no, 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 we 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 passed this specifically because this is such a difficult career. 
And, and honestly, folks, it is a young man's and woman's career. It is not made for 60-year-olds who have sciatica and can't even sit down right now and have trouble gardening and bending over and suffered strokes and have AFib. That's me. I just described me in a nutshell. It's not made for dudes like me anymore. You want to be able to bring in nice, fresh blood all the time. There was a joke on the police force, which, which really wasn't a joke, but the, the point was no matter how old we got, the blank heads, I won't say what blank stood for, seemed to always stay around 18 to 25. But we cops, we're aging. So the idea and what Congress, I think, is trying to do is acknowledge this is a career that's probably going to last 20, 25 years. Let's make it easier for these men and women who dedicate themselves to public safety, whether it's police, fire, ambulance. Let's help them and not allowing and addressing for the lateral movement of their career is wrong. And I think they'll come and fix this. Yeah, I think so, too. Okay, okay. that's well, what I wanted to cover. Well, how much um, do we have more of yeah, the big thing we want to get to is the 529 to Roth conversion, and there's oh, a couple more a little topic. things. Yeah. That's a hot okay. one. So, so next time we'll have I'll, it all wrapped up next week. Yeah, so next week will be the last EDU show where we're kind of reviewing all these notes from the Ed Slot program. Um, um, after that, who knows where we're going? Maybe you've already decided. I don't know. You oh, yeah, I've got lots of ideas. I'm full of ideas. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait hopefully, to hear it. Hopefully my sialysis, uh, sciatica, sciatica, right? Yeah. Sciatica, is that what I have? Yeah. Well, okay, I, that's my my professional <laughs> medical opinion. Yes, without I, any I sort of. I have not gone to see my doctor yet, <laughs> yeah. folks. It's it's I, again. I belong to that concierge service. I can call him, and he has to see me within twenty four hours. Why don't you just go it's in? Not the issue. I don't have the time. And you told me you diagnosed me yesterday. You said Easy. I have said <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but if anybody out there knows why I have this excruciating pain along my hip, it feels. Let me know if you think Chris is right that I have – is it called sciatica? Mm -hmm. Okay. If it's still here by next Sunday, I am oh going to make yourself, an appointment are you just, with my doctor. You're looking for pity, I think. I'm, I'm going to force myself pity. to be in this pain for <laughs> – well. But you told me there's no cure, and you told me the treatment is anti-inflammatory, which I can't take because I'm on blood thinners. So to go to the doctor for him to say, yeah, you have sciatica and there's nothing I can do for you. That's not going to help me. No, now, I'm sure they've got stuff. other things. Yeah. Maybe they can give me something. I'm not, I said there's no magic cure where I can just say, well, do this and suddenly it's gone. If there were, I certainly would have you know, tried to deploy that in the past because this happens to me occasionally. But uh, anyway, well, we can't wait to hear how this all resolves. <laughs> that's, you know, that's part of the fascinating uh, topics that we cover here on the Retirement Show. I, I have show. promised Rachel the same thing. Sunday's my deadline. Okay. If it's not any better, I will call the doctor on Monday okay. and probably probably see him on Tuesday because I'm always in Fort Collins on Tuesday and his office is about five miles from the office. So anyways. Okay. Great. Well, everyone take care till next week when we will have uh, one more Secure Act show for the EDU. As always, we'll have a Q&A show for you here in a few days. And uh, yeah. Stay safe, and we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. 
But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 